0: This evening we continue our Lecture Divina for this year looking at uh, personalities of the Old Testament and meditating upon what we can learn from them as we live our own life seeking to grow closer to God. And we're of course all here together at the uh, cathedral. And also I want to greet the uh, members of the St. Joseph the Worker Parish and St. Edward the Confessor Parish who are also with us, uh, although through modern technology, through live streaming. Uh, and especially in a particular way also uh, greet all those who are participating in this through salt and light. This evening we're going to be praying over a passage, chapter 22 of the book of Genesis, a very, very famous passage, the passage of the sacrifice of uh, Isaac. It's sometimes called in history the Akedah or the binding, the passage of the binding of Isaac. And it is uh, taken down in the history of interpretation and the fathers of the church and others uh, as a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Christ. It's a very important passage. Uh, And it speaks to us of many different things of how we should offer ourselves, especially uh, to God with a spirit of total dedication. Uh, It's also a rather disturbing passage uh, because uh, we see in it, the idea that uh, God is calling on Abraham to kill his son, Isaac, which certainly is a very shocking thought, especially uh, in view of uh, child sacrifice, which was found very commonly among the neighbors of the the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Many different cultures, sad to say, have had this idea of child sacrifice, sometimes uh, particularly being offered to gods and goddesses of fertility, uh, as a way of sort of offering the greatest gift in order to uh, have the fields be fertile and things of that nature. It's a very uh, dark and uh, unacceptable part of uh, religious sentiment thrown through the ages. And it was something that was found uh, in the peri- in the time of the Old Testament in the neighboring pass- neighboring groups around Israel. Uh, but the Jewish people have always been taught not to do that. And of course, in this uh, passage, um, this uh, what it said at the very beginning that God is simply using this as a way of testing the willingness of Abraham to give totally to God in complete obedience, the greatest gift which he had, which was his son Isaac, the son whom he had yearned for and finally had received. And now it seemed that God was going back on his promise and was calling upon him to sacrifice his son. It's clear that at the end, it's at the very beginning, we know this is a test of his obedience. And at the end, uh, we know that God does not in fact call people to to this kind of sacrifice. But it is an example, a kind of an extreme example of calling upon people, uh, someone to give a total obedience. We always have to watch when we're looking at the accounts of what happens in the Old Testament, the New Testament as well. And when we read, for example, the parables of Jesus, Uh, and other such things, that we don't take them too far in a direction they're not intended. Most of these accounts emphasize something that we are supposed to learn from, but they may include things which we certainly are not supposed to learn from, especially in this case, God does not approve of this child sacrifice. I just think of um, an example I sometimes use, which may ruin a part of the New Testament for you. I hope not, it's kind of a spoiler here that, you know, the good shepherd is something that we we um, we always see as a tremendous and powerful message of God's love for us. And we can celebrate that. But in the end, you know, they always see the good shepherd either fleeces the sheep or eats the sheep. Well, that's not part of the message. And so we have to be able to bracket the part that is not intended and focus on the part that that is intended. So this is very important. and. Uh, We see in this Abraham and Isaac, two personalities of the the Old Testament. Abraham, the most important of the patriarchs, our father Abraham, and Isaac, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Isaac is kind of the weakest of the three. Jacob is Israel, the founder of the, you know, all the 12 tribes of Israel. But Isaac seems to be simply someone who at the very beginning with Abraham is be able to be sacrificed very passively. And with his son, uh, Jacob is tricked and fooled at the end. And so he's a kind of a more of a kind of a passive character, but one in whom we can see as well, the whole plan of God. Always watch in the readings from sacred scripture or any other kind of reading for repetitions. You will see this some wonderful ways in which the words are repeated to emphasize something. And I think one thing that is above all emphasized in this passage is the providence of God. We sometimes do not understand it. Well, we usually do not understand it. How can this be happening? And yet we are called to serve the Lord faithfully with a complete gift of self, with all our heart and mind and soul, trusting that as the words are said here, God will provide. And I think in our day, when we face so many struggles and cares in the world and in the church and everywhere else, it's good for us to keep that in mind. God will provide. Uh, I remember seeing on a sign, some, some uh, religious house uh, based on, on I think it was the, the Sisters of Providence. It's a quote from some French spiritual writer, I forget which one. that says, the only thing we know for sure is that God's providence rises before the dawn. And I think that uh, is a good thought to have as we reflect on this passage. So now let us enter into a spirit of prayer as we encounter the Lord in this great passage from the book of Genesis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us so that we may truly listen to your words. Let them come within us so that we may live rightly. Come, Holy Spirit. Free us, O oh Lord, from all our sins to weigh us down so much and block the pathway to our heart through which you come to us. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me as sinner. Speak, Lord, Your servant is listening. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only begotten son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Then Abraham put forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld withheld your son, your only begotten son from me. And then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only begotten son. I will indeed bless you And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. And by your descendants shall all the nations of the earth bless themselves, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. These things provide the context for this. It was that long struggle to have someone who would be the successor of Abraham. There we have that great way in which the Lord Cared for his people, and Abraham and Sarah despaired of, of having a child. We have uh, Ishmael or Hagar, but it was to be the real descendant of Abraham, the official one, the one who would carry on the promise. And finally, Isaac came. And just at that moment, when it would seem that everything was planned according to what Abraham and Sarah could understand as God's will suddenly something new comes and throws him off, throws Abraham off. And that happens so much. We think we have a grip on what God wants, but we don't usually. After these things, God tested Abraham. There's a testing that happens in life. We see the Israelites in the desert being tested. They had escaped from Egypt, but they were still pretty proud and pretty sure of their own will. And so in the course of the desert, the 40 years, God tested them, that they might be more pure in their intention. God tests us in different ways, but never beyond our needs and our abilities. We think of St. Paul, who was given a thorn in the flesh to test him. We don't know what it is, whether it was something physical or we don't know. Maybe some temptation he was struggling with or who knows. But here was St. Paul, filled with talent and success and dynamic uh, ability to evangelize and the gift of the Holy Spirit and everything and caught up into heaven into glory and mystical prayer. Unless he get proud, God tested him to make him go deeper. Because when we're tested, we're called to go deeper. And usually the result of these struggles we face is either we get bitter and go off the track and shrivel up in anger and bitterness, or we may go deeper. And that's the point of it all. And so Paul asked that the testing be taken away, whatever that was, because uh, he, he didn't think he could handle it. And he didn't know why God was testing him. But the Lord said, no, my power is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. It is in weakness that power reaches perfection. He needed that purification. And so we see Abraham. He seems to be finally serenely launched on his mission because he now has Isaac, his son. And at this very point, he's going to be tested by the Lord. But he replies what we need to reply. Here am I, here am I. I come to do your will. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. It's a very good idea to pray the Angelus three times a day because in the midst of the testing that we all experience in different ways, facing the different struggles that come upon us. Let me tell you about some of the ones facing. <laughs> we all have our struggles. To say, here am I. Behold the servant, the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Too often we want to get our hands on the steering wheel. We forget that God will provide. And if we forget that, we forgot the most important thing. So after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He called him by name, for he loves each one of us by name. And we need to reply, here am I. Let's just spend a moment in prayer and ask the Lord to help us in the midst of our testing, whatever it may be, and we're all very different in that different forms of testing. That when the Lord calls us by name, we may say, here am I. And he said, take your son, your only begotten son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of which I shall tell you." And so that is the test. And the way this is written, not all the scriptures is written beautifully in a human way. This is written with such stunning beauty. Take your son, your only begotten son, whom you love, Isaac. We just meditate, reflect, let those words sink in this is what he's being asked for his son his only begotten son Isaac whom you love it's a very big test and of course this is why we can see a hint in this that in the Christian tradition this has been taken as a kind of a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross the binding of Isaac and the binding of Christ as we make the stations of the cross we might think back upon this account of the testing of Abraham and the sacrifice of his son, his only begotten son, Isaac, whom you love, so great a gift. We may think of what we may be offered, may be asked to offer to the Lord. We don't give small things in sacrifice to the Lord God. Ultimately, we need to give our whole selves to the Lord. This is a, a sign of that. Sacrifice in the Old Testament is a sign of giving everything to God. The animal is killed, so we can no longer make use of the animal for our purposes and often burnt and as the smoke rises up, but like incense is burned, precious incense. We just had a short time ago incensing the altar, which is a sign of Christ in the church. The blessed sacrament is Christ. But the altar is the sign of Christ. That's why we incense the altar. And as the smoke rises up, it is that gift rising up, our prayers rising up to God. And so we're called to live a life of sacrifice. And these symbolic sacrifices speak to the deeper sacrifice, which is giving our whole life. That's why uh, in an ordination ceremony, before the person is ordained, they lie flat on the ground, like that. That's actually a tradition in some cultures and some parts of the church, a prayer. We pray standing, we can pray sitting, we can pray kneeling, but the most total sign is right before the Lord. Here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. It's a very dramatic sign of sacrifice, which we make in our own liturgy, just as the incense offering up, rising up, is a sign of that. But they are signs of something that's lived day by day, not in a liturgical ceremony. We need to live that way totally, as indeed in marriage, when the consent is given between the husband and the wife. They give themselves totally to one another. It's a sacrificial gift, one to the other. That is profound. It's a great and mat- majestic reality. And so this is all foreshadowed here in what is asked of Abraham. We don't give what is unimportant. We give what is vital. We give what is like this, your son, your only begotten son, Isaac, whom you love. That's the level of gift, which in different ways, God asks of you and of me day by day. So Abraham, he rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He doesn't even say anything. The Lord said, do this. So he gets up early in the morning. That's interesting. Throughout this account, we have these little details. Early in the morning, he gets up, does what the Lord asks of him. He doesn't start getting into a debate with God. Now, exactly what do you have in mind? No, he just does it. And I think in a lot of our life, just doing things is really what we're called. That's what we're, we're called, it's called of us. And so he does it, he does it very effectively. He cuts the wood, he gets it ready. He uses his human skills and organization to get it ready. And off he goes. And it's not just a simple momentary thing. They travel for three days. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And it's amazing from now on how the sacred writer, inspired by Almighty God, but using his human literary abilities, slows the whole thing down. He could have simply said, Abraham took Isaac was going to offer him, but God stopped him, and he saw God's providence. That would have told you the gist of the story in about two seconds. But instead, he sees the mount far off, and everything now slows down, so we can sense the growing tension, and we can ourselves be affected by it. We can begin to meditate slowly in each element of this so that it might enter more deeply into our hearts, rather than just going zip getting it over with. That's sort of the way when we pray the Psalms. Most Psalms, you get the gist of it in the first two lines. Then they go on for another 20 verses, taking it and twisting it and showing it from different angles. So we don't sort of speed up and get the Reader's Digest version. We just go slowly, reflectively. And then it begins to gain traction upon us. And so it is with the sacrifice of Isaac. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. We can see them slowly moving towards the mountain they went both of them together well if they're both of them they're together but he says they went both of them together slowly moving along and we can imagine some spiritual writers have like Kierkegaard and people like that what was Abraham thinking as he had that three days to get to that point and then slowly walking along together with his son. What was Isaac thinking? Well, we soon find out a bit of that. But what are we thinking (laughs) as we reflect upon this great test of Abraham's willingness to give everything to God? What are we thinking as slowly we walk on throughout our life? reflecting upon what we are offering to God in that profound daily sacrifice we are each of us called to make. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said to him, my father. And he is his son, his only begotten son, Isaac, whom he loves. And he says, just turned, you can see his face turning, my father. And as Abraham says to God, the heavenly father, here am I, Lord. He says to his son, here am I. That's not a bad way to be, to be someone who is disposed to almighty God and disposed to say, here am I, to his son, his only begotten son, Isaac, whom he loves. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, "Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac, uh, throughout the Bible, is not very alert. He can't figure out the identity of his two sons later on, which is a bit of there's a humor that goes through the Bible too, by the way. <laughs> That's, he can't tell. Uh, Jacob and Esau from one another, but he did figure this out. Here's the fire. Here's the wood. Duh, where's the where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Oh, my. How is he going to answer that one? Because <laughs> we're all thinking it ourselves. We're, we know this is irony here. We know it's a test. Abraham doesn't. And we know as we see this, we can see what's happening. It's just like irony is a powerful force. I sometimes am tempted when I go to to see King Lear in the theater to, um, you know, as Lear begins to be tricked by his uh, Goneril and Regan, his uh, distrusting, his uh, false daughters, to shout out, don't believe them, Lear. That, however, would ruin the play. So we have to live with the tension of seeing that. But here, he says, here am I, my son. Behold, here is the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said the answer to the whole of life, which we need in different contexts to listen to. And he says it so many times. He says, I'm not gonna tell you where the lamb, that's not the point. He said, God will provide himself The lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went both of them together. This is they—they were going both of them together. And the question comes from the son. The father responds. Then they continued both of them together, step by step, getting closer to the place of sacrifice. Oh, what's going to happen? When they came to the place of which God had told him. And even here we see it's not just some place. It's the place of which God had told him. Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Then Abraham put forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son, but at the last moment, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Oh, there we are. But always watch when we read the sacred scriptures or anything else, these little words that turn the whole thing, but. <laughs> the angel of the Lord moves in. God is not asking that, really. He's simply trying to deepen the obedience, the total dedication of his servant Abraham. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. Once more, he's called by name, as you and I are called by name all the time. And he gives the answer, the only one we need to give. Here am I. That's our response. And God will provide. Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only begotten son from, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. He couldn't see the ram because it was behind him. We usually don't see what God is about to provide. Perhaps we should learn to look around a bit. This is almost like you hear in an airplane, which I go on a lot. So here, remember, the nearest exit might be behind you. It's not where you think it is. So look around, wake up. See, And so he sees what God has provided in an unexpected place where he wasn't looking. And then that is the sacrifice, the symbolic offering, which is a sign of the greater sacrifice, which is the total offering of self, which Abraham is called to give and which you are called to give and I am called to give in the different places we are in life, whatever they may be. So Abraham called the name of that place. In case we don't get the point, (laughs) he called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I forget if that's five or six times or whatever number that we are getting the point. And I think we all need to think about that. I know I sometimes, I get very worried about what's going on in the world, in the church, in a lot of things. Probably it's one gets a little less worried if one doesn't get on the social media too much and <laughs> see all kinds of things about which we can do nothing that are you know, buzzing around. But maybe what we need to do is to experience the power of silence. That great book by that very holy and saintly cardinal, Cardinal Sarah. The power of silence. Because he was coming out of an experience in his own earlier life as a bishop very early. He was 30 in his early 30s, dealing with horrible issues like a dictator, murdering people, and he was on a death list himself. Oh my, talk about testing. And yet it wasn't in his busyness that he found salvation. It was in the power of silence of saying God will provide and then being attentive to that. We're not going to fix a lot of things to this world, but we do need to be attentive. And perhaps then if we are more disposed to say, here am I, we will be able to find around where we're not looking the actual solution to the problem because we're so busy trying to find it ourselves that we're not disposing ourselves to listen, to find out where it is. On the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. As ultimately it was on Mount Calvary. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself, I have sworn says the Lord because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only begotten son, I will indeed bless you and I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies and by your descendants shall all the nations of the earth bless themselves because you have obeyed my voice. It is obedience to God's voice. To hear the voice, first of all, and then to say, here am I, and then silently, without saying anything else, to do it, trusting that God will provide. The beginning of the rule of Benedict starts out very wisely. Listen, my child, listen. Hear the voice of the Lord. And for that we need silence, not only physical of some type perhaps, but silence in the heart. So often we can't hear the Lord when he quietly calls our name, like a still small breeze. And maybe we're looking around in the wrong places to find his will. It's why we need to have deep at the heart of every day a time of stillness when we can hear his voice, in which we can dispose ourselves to obey it. Too many words, not enough action of obedience to God. Too much noise, the dictatorship of noise, as Cardinal Sara calls it. The dictatorship that hijacks our minds But sometimes even an external stillness, there can be a buzz within as things race around inside our little noggin. And we can't hear ourselves thinking and talking, let alone our neighbor, and certainly not God. That stillness, that, what's that one, I think Gerard Manny Hopkins, elected silence called to me. We need to choose silence regularly throughout the day. That's why priests and sisters and a lot of lay people pray the divine office throughout the day to go to a place, a space, an oasis of silence and hear the word of the Lord as he speaks to us through the power of the Psalms. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. And it's over. He goes home, he goes and dwells there. Now, there's a a little uh, humorous note here. Well, perhaps it is, but I think it might be. I heard somebody say it is. Right after this, we have the death of Sarah. And he buries Sarah. And you just, there's all these uh, people saying, and she said to Isaac, he did what? (laughs) Clunk. (laughs) So anyway, that's not in the text. That's simply a speculation among some people uh, flippantly minded uh, scripture scholars. This whole amazing passage, the repetition, the slowness, the way God uses a sacred writer who was not boring like whoever he used for Leviticus. The one in Leviticus for the laws is just clear, and that's all you want in the law is clarity. But he used whoever the earthly writer would use to, by God, He picks his writers so that they can convey what needs to be conveyed. That in the sacrifice of Isaac, we have something so profound to touch our hearts and move our wills that we can give a special prayer of thanks to God for having picked whatever, you know, picked the sacred writer there who made that come to us. So let's just reflect on it. And as I read it again, what does it say to our head to our heart and to our hands. That's a good thing to think about whenever we read anything, but especially the sacred scriptures. What does this say to our head to help us understand, see more clearly the mysterious ways of God? What does this say to our heart as we come to be drawn closer to God and see his love more fully and how he calls us by name always. And what does it say to our hands? What are we to do as Abraham didn't talk when he heard the word? He just said, here am I, Lord, then boom, he did it. What does it say to our head, our heart, and our hands? After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only begotten son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go, on y- will go yonder and worship and come back again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. He said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself, the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went both of them together when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood that Abraham put forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only begotten son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son your only begotten son. I will indeed bless you and I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand, which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your descendants shall all the nations of the earth bless themselves because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba.